You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. You are a masterpiece in progress. One of the things we talked about last week is that before the beginning of time, before God created, it says he had a plan for you. And that was that God is a master creator. He's the master peacemaker. And before time, he saw you. And when he saw you, he saw the masterpiece at the end. Now, we have a tendency to see the mess, but he sees the masterpiece. So even before time began, he saw you and he said, called you out by name to salvation and said, I've called you, Chris, from the mess and in the present age of working out your salvation to I see the end and at the end the masterpiece that will be. And so here Paul in Ephesians 1 talks about that. In Ephesians chapter 2 he digs in a little bit more and he talks about our salvation. Last week he talked about what it meant to be redeemed and the beautiful picture of what it means to be redeemed and bought out of slavery and brought out from our chains to being sealed with an inheritance, an inheritance that's guaranteed. That before time began he saw the masterpiece, but he also as a child adopted us and guarantees an inheritance. It was without a shadow of a doubt, not because of who we are and what we've done, but because of the character of God himself. And that because we're now located in him, when we say yes to Jesus, that God, the judge, looks out and he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus because we're now located in him. And now that we're located in him, we're struggling, striving, in many ways, releasing who we are so that we can become fully all that God wants us to be in this in this life because he sees the masterpiece ahead. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be turning to Ephesians chapter 2. And here Paul is using insider language again. He's talking to those in Ephesus. And the city of Ephesus is a pretty large city of the day. I mean, it's 250,000 people, which is still a pretty good-sized city. It was a port city, so it was very wealthy. A lot of retired military there. And then also they had the Temple of Diana. It was one of the largest temples of the day. And it was a fertility cult. And so you can imagine what worship looked like in a temple where fertility was the God. Okay, so it's a radical change when someone began to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ to move from worshiping in a fertility cult to worshiping in a synagogue with people that have been set free by Jesus. And so here Paul is given and talking to them about what it's the first few verses he's talking about. You used to live in this way. Now you don't. Again, insider language to the people. It says this. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you were a dead man, dead man walking. walking. Dead man. Dead man walking. Dead man walking here. Dead man. We got a dead man walking here. Dead man walking. We got a dead man walking here. First day. Enough. You were once a dead man walking. But God said, that's enough. That's our call. And so here Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 talks to us about what it was like to be a dead man walking. A dead man chained, bound, 
in our disobedience, in our sin, and trying to live life to the fullest, and we couldn't because we were tied down and bound by the sins of life. It says this in verse 2. You used to live in sin. Our location used to be in sin. We lived in pig slop. We lived in mess. But when we said yes to Jesus, our location changed, and now we're located in Him. This is location language that Paul's giving. You used to live here in filth and slop and think that this was good. Now in Christ, you have freedom. So you can imagine those that have been worshiping in a fertility cult and what their view and perspective of themselves was and their view and perspective of God. And now they've said yes to Jesus. They were located in this slop. Now they have freedom. They are free from that. So you used to live in that and think that was normal, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, military language. You could only say, yes, sir. To your father, the commander of this world, the powers of this universe. He's the spirit at work in our hearts for those who refuse to live. God, our location there, yes, sir, obedience to our commander, Satan. Pretty strong language. All of us used to live that way, following the passion of desires, literally being drawn to. Like you long, as you're hunger for something, you hunger after it and you're drawn to it. That's the language that Paul's giving. You're the electromagnetic, it's boom, you're taken there. It's irresistible to you. The same way now that Christ should be irresistible to us, sin was irresistible. So all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Here's one of the things. We don't become sinful. We are sinful. The very moment that you are born physically and your mama says, ooh, pretty, with your cone head, you also bring sin nature with you. You don't become so... Do any of us have to teach two-year-olds how to sin? No, it's natural. We are born that way. That's our very nature We're subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Salvation is from sin. Our location was here in the pigsty. We were located here and we thought this is it. And then God saves us. He moves us from this location to our new one. And how did that happen? By his love. Right? So man doesn't become spiritually dead. We are spiritually dead. Whenever someone is physically dead, they have an inability to respond to stimuli. They can't taste. They can't touch. They can't see. There's no pain. The same is true for us when we're spiritually dead. We cannot respond to the things of God because we're dead. We're located in this mess, and we cannot respond to the things of God. We lie because we're already liars. We steal because we're already thieves. We sin because we're already sinners. It's our character, it's our nature to do those things. So as sinners, there's not one particular sin that separates us from God. Sin is sin. It's It is. So, no particular act of goodness can be the bridge that reconciles us back to God. 
Perfection and holiness is the standard and has been the standard of a relationship with God. And so every single day that you've got up your entire life apart from God, you've said today I want to live for God and you pull back the bow and arrow of your life and the standard that God has set, the bullseye for perfection, bullseye is perfection and holiness. And so every day we pull back our bow and arrow and our own strength and our own wisdom and our own knowledge and our own power. We pull it back and we shoot the bow and arrow and we never, not ever, not even not hit bullseye. We fall way short of the target. That's our nature. We will never by our nature reach God's standard of perfection and holiness. The world operates. We see three main ways that the world operates. One is humanism. Man is above all, right? Man is the measure of the beginning and of the end. It's all about me. You see it? You can go to Burger King and you can have it your way. You can buy some shoes and you can just do it. I mean, you see what I'm saying? That, that, is, that is humanism. That is about me. I am the measuring standard. That's why we are a judgmental culture. Is because we see ourselves and we judge other people because they don't look and act and think like us. And so we pass judgment on them so that we can feel better about ourselves. That's the result of humanism. Because we see the world through our human eyes and our human perspective. The other way that the world measures our value and our worth is by the things that we gather. Materialism. That if I have more than you, then I'm worth more than you. If I make more than you, if I have more education, whatever it is, we gather these things so that we can feel good about ourselves and also to raise ourselves up. And so we feel like we've attained something, giving ourselves worth and value and pleasure. And then the third one we see growing in our culture, which is sexuality and what sex is outside of marriage. Okay. And so I'm just going to give you, I'm not going to, that's a whole other sermon series that we're not going to get into today. But I'm going to give you a quick definition of what sex, illicit sex is. And it's this. <clears throat> Any activity outside of the confines of a husband-wife relationship, that's not God's best for you. Okay? I'm going to leave it at that. All right? None of us are perfect. We all have sin. Again, sin is sin. Not one is worse than the other. This is one that's prevalent in our culture, in our world, and that we rationalize and justify all different ways of that. Right? So salvation is from sin. It's Satan's plan to get us to not just do evil things, but to think and believe evil things, especially about God. That we think that the good things that God does are actually bad things. You can read the newspaper. A lot of people are blaming all these different things that are happening in the world, not on the humans that are making the mistakes, not on the humans that are making these decisions, not on the what we have done, but we some way or another find our way to blaming God for things that have nothing to do with God. Matter of fact, this past week, I bought a book. <clears throat> it's a perfect title. Do Less Stupid. Does it get any more simple than that? Do less stupid. It fits into all kinds of different realms of the world, but do less stupid. I mean, you're talking to teenagers. Let's look at the title here together. Let's do less stupid. You're talking to people that are in financial trouble. Let's do less stupid. You know, bad relationship decisions. Let's do less stupid. You know what I mean? Like that, that's it. Paul here is saying we should because we're no longer located in this mess of a pigsty of sin. We should be doing less stupid 
because we're looking and acting and thinking and seeing the world from our Father that has adopted us and redeemed us and bought us out. But we have a tendency to go back here. Because sometimes we believe this is all we're worth, is the pigsty. When God said, no, listen, I've brought you out. I've cleaned you up. I've done all the work. You didn't even do it in your own power. I picked you up out of the mire and the mess and brought you here. It wasn't even of your own effort. It wasn't even of your own wisdom. You didn't even know that you could get out of the gate. And I came in into the mess with you and picked you up and moved you over here and did all of the work and provided you clothes and a house and a new inheritance, a guaranteed inheritance of a future. It's my work because I love you salvation is from sin by love but God's unlimited riches he shows forth in his mercy that is motivated because he loves you so much Remember, you're a masterpiece in progress. So before time began, it tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, before all of the creation was even made, he had you in his mind and he said, you, Chris, are a masterpiece. And so he saw the end. He saw the tapestry at the end and he's like, that is what I see. We have a tendency to see ourselves in the mess. And God says, I'm motivated. By my love for you to remove yourself from this mess and to see that I've taken you from here to over here. I view you as the tapestry finished. Not because of your work, but because of my work in you through Christ. His motivation, his forgiveness, his compassion, his love, his power, his energy. Everything is moved by his love. Salvation is from sin by love into life. Not a dead man walking anymore. You're not bound by things. There's always a little clip here and there of, or stories of people coming to life. And I've got this one. I, I just love this one. This is a, a guy who was once clinically dead. I don't know if he's now still alive, but he was found alive. So it's, you can laugh. There's some moments that you can laugh. So here we go. The story is spreading like wildfire. How Walter Williams woke up from the dead in Holmes County. I asked the coroner what happened. He said, oh, they can call us a miracle. I stood there and watched them put him in a, a body bag and zipped it up. The coroner says he checked the pulse around 9 o'clock Wednesday night and pronounced Williams dead at his home in Lexington with no heartbeat. That was 1030. And at 2.30, my cousin called me. And said, not yet. I said, what you mean, not yet? He said, Dad is still here. After the coroner helped move Williams to Porter and Son's funeral home, workers were getting ready to embalm him. But that's when he started to move. He wasn't ideal, long story short. Byron Porter says it's the first time he's ever seen anything like it. A man inside a body bag kicking to get out. So he missed it by how much? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. A couple no, of minutes, maybe? Uh, no, no, no. More than that, maybe. Well, we definitely was not going to do anything to him. And Once you saw that he was right, alive. That he, that, right, that he was not deceased. Paramedics rushed Williams to the hospital, where tonight family members say they're happy he's alive. Now, I don't know how long he's going to be here, but I know he's back right now. And that's all we'll count. Not yet. Oh, man, there's some humor in that, but that's our story. 
Our pulse was taken. And we were dead. And then Christ came. And we're alive. To be dead is to not breathe, to not be able to. And the beautiful thing, what God has done is in his richness and his mercy. If you're dead and you can't breathe, you cannot save yourself. The only way that you can be brought back to life is if someone does work for you to bring you back to life. And that is exactly what God has done is that we are dead. And in his wisdom and love and compassion and care for us reaches over and breathes his breath into us so that we can be revived. New life. A dead person pursues myself, pursues more, pursues pleasure and a live person pursues him, generosity, and joy because we're thankful and amazed by his grace that he would give us another breath. Even though you were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. I think about the story of Lazarus and Lazarus in chapter 11 of John was someone who was called from death to life. And I think there's some interesting things about that story. One is, when Jesus showed up, Lazarus had been dead for several days, and he was dead dead, is what Mary and, and Martha, his sister, said. He's not just dead, he's been dead for a while. And so there was, everybody knew, hey, Lazarus is gone, okay? And so they'd taken his pulse, done, he's in the cave, he's been wrapped in the burial clothes, he's there. And so Jesus weeps over him and comes up and he says, I will raise him from the dead and prays. And he calls out Lazarus. He didn't just say, hey, guys, because I believe that if he had said, hey, guys, everybody would have come out. But he calls out specifically by name. He says, Lazarus, come out. And again, in my weird mind, I imagine that Jesus says, hey, remove the stone and remove the stone. Here comes Lazarus, you know, hopping out because he's wrapped up in and clothes. And so one of the last things that Jesus said to the people around is remove his grave clothes from him. The things that bound him. And I think this is important that this is what community does. Is that we get called from death to life by name. And what community does is we gather around each other and we help each other remove the grave clothes of the former life. Because we don't need them. And imagine how embarrassing it is when you walk out of a bathroom in public and you got toilet paper hanging. People are laughing. Why? Because they know where you've been. And so community helps unwrap the grave clothes, not because we don't want to be embarrassed, but because we've been brought from death to life. And it's more important, not from where we've been, but where we're at and where we're going. And we have freedom and living in the stench of grave clothes. So even though you were dead because of our sins, he gave us new life in Christ. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. And again, this word saved has multiple, it's a full word, okay? And so this word saved means this. There was that moment in the courtroom where God the judge looked out. He sees us. And whenever he sees us, he doesn't see us, but he sees Christ in us and through us. And so therefore, whenever he calls out the edict, he declares us right, righteous. So we're just as if I'd never sinned. In that moment, you're justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. Now we're living in the present age. 
We've had that moment with God, but now we're in continual process with Him. He's sanctifying us. We're working out our salvation with Him, understanding what it means to know Christ and be a child of God and the riches that He has for us because there's a guaranteed inheritance. There's a promise that God has given us that at some point at the end of this life, we will move from being sanctified and working out our salvation to fully experiencing what it means to be in the presence of God and be glorified. So that word saved isn't just to be pulled out from the muck and mire. It means, hey, in this moment that you're pulled out from the muck and the mire, God looks at you and he's just as if I'd never sinned. You're in process and moving and growing and changing, not in your own power and your own strength, but what he does so that you can experience the fullness of the inheritance that he has for you. That that's our life. That we have is living and growing and knowing Christ on a deeper level, more intimate with his knowledge. Also, salvation has a purpose for six and seven. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him. Again, this is that it's guaranteed language. So you've been raised from the dead with Christ and you've been seated. You have a guaranteed seat at the dinner table of God in heaven. Your nameplate is there. Not because God doesn't know your name, but so that you will know this is your spot around the table, that this is your inheritance. It's a guaranteed spot for you. When you've been moved from the muck and mire, you're being sanctified. Part of your guaranteed inheritance is to sit at the table of God and to sup and to dine with him. (laughs) Some of you are getting ready for Super Bowl parties. What you're going to be putting out has nothing to do, not even close to the dinner table of God and the fellowship that will happen. So God can point us. Part of our purpose is so that God can point to us. This is our testimony. God can point to us and our stories and all the future ages as examples of his incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. In other words, we get to tell our story. And God throughout all eternity points to us and our story of, hey, here was someone that was paying in the pig slop and I moved them out. And they moved through life. And now here they are at the dinner table of God. And what's the cool thing is that none of it happened in our own power, and our own strength, and our own intelligence. It happened everything because God's love was motivated to move us from here to there. Salvation is through faith. God saved you by his grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense is what grace is. When you believed in that moment, you can't take credit for it. You were dead. You didn't have the power or the strength or the ability to do it. God, in his grace through Christ, brought you out, and it's a gift. A gift that you can never repay. I know you've been around Christmases enough that you've received a gift, and you're like, ah, you were surprised by it. And you're like, oh, I didn't know Johnny was going to get me a gift. And then you look at it and you're like, yeah, I can kind of match that. And so then you go buy a gift that's kind of maybe you think the same value and you give it back. Am I right? Been there? Maybe it's just me. This is a gift that you've received that you can never repay. You can never match the worth and value of that gift. The only thing that comes close is you. He says, the gift that I want, I don't want you to try to repay me. All I want is you. You are my gift. 
I give you life to the fullness now. We have a tendency, though, in our human nature to do churchy things, to do religious things. And so sometimes we think church membership will get me closer to God or baptism will get me closer to God. Or if I give a little bit more, that'll get me closer to God. Or if I take communion, that'll get me closer to God. Or if I do the religious thing and check the boxes, all of those things. None of those things are bad in and of themselves, but they do not save you. They make you religious. They may make you moral. They may make you a good person, but good people are still in slop. Because that's trying to do stuff in your own power. You're just going to end up continuing to get dirty. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for it. It is a gift of God. When someone stops breathing, they can't breathe for themselves. That's the beauty of faith. Is even faith... Is not ours. It's something that he gives us. And we have a tendency to think, well, I, I choose. Yes, you do choose. But faith is God's breathing his breath into you so that you can even have the faith to believe. Salvation is not a reward for the good works that you've done. So no one can boast about it. There's nothing earned. It's totally him. And the whole reason, one of the main reasons that you've been saved it's because God had a plan for you to do good works. For you are God's masterpiece. This masterpiece word, we get our word poem. Or how do y'all say poem? Yeah, so y'all say it a little differently. Y'all are wrong, but that's okay. We are God's masterpiece. A unique work of art that he has created anew in Christ Jesus. So here's the idea. When you were born physically, you were born once. But now, in Christ, you are reborn. You are created anew. And so this masterpiece word is a word of a unique art. But then also this created anew is a sculpture. So when you were born, you were created as a masterpiece, a sculpture piece of work. But in Christ, you were created anew. In other words, you were melted down. And that in Christ... Christ was put in you, the Holy Spirit was put inside of you so that when you were recreated anew in Christ, you look the same on the outside, but the inside is different. And so that every single day the sculpture is melted down and remade because God is transforming us from the inside out. And every day there should be a little bit less of me and a little bit more of the Spirit of God. And so that while the outside of the sculpture looks the same, the inside is changing. I'm being refined from the inside out. The stuff of me is being burned out and dross is being cleared off. And there's more purity to who I am, not because of my strength, but because of what God is doing from the inside out of me. So that as Romans 12:2 says, I'm no longer being conformed to the image of this world, but being conformed to the image of God. That my sculpture, my one-of-a-time one masterpiece looks more and more like God, thinks and acts and craves the things of God more and more every day, and a little bit mess, less of me. Philippians 1.6, which is written by Paul, says it this way, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. That he who began a good work in you, again, it's not our work, it's his work in us. He will perfect it. Why? Because before beginning a time, the master artist had a plan. 
He called you out by name. He said, Chris. And he brought me from here and he lifted me up in his own power, motivated by love, and brought me here and created me anew. And he's changing me and transforming me every single day so that my appetites, the things that I see, the things that I love, the things that I care about are being changed from the inside out. Because this is my testimony. People want to see that there's something different. This is our testimony because we have a guaranteed inheritance. And there's going to be a day where our nameplate is there and we know and with great excitement and anticipation we get to sit down at the table of God and to sup and to dine with Him. Again, not of our own accord, but everything of His own accord. You're being refined. It's hard work. As a matter of fact, we, we struggle again in our humanness. We think we've got to check this off. Actually, what it is is surrendering. So here's what I want you to get. The last image I want you to get is that you are a tapestry surrendered. And God is the great artist is doing his work. And he sees the final image. And my prayer is, is that you'll just rest. That you won't try to change the picture. You won't try to change the image. That you'll just let God do what God does and know that he's smart enough and big enough and wise enough to know exactly what he needs from you. He sees the masterpiece. So my question is, have you received the breath of God? Have you allowed him to do what only he can do and to breathe his breath of life into your dead body so that you can be moved from this place of sin to this place of life for your inheritance that's ahead? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your gift. Gift of new life. Gift of new purpose. Of a glorious inheritance. Father, to move from death to life. Lord, I pray this morning that we would just rest in you. And to know that our walk with you is, is, has nothing to do with our ability, our intelligence, our education, our money. It has everything to do with you reaching out and calling us by name from the pigsty and picking us up out of it to set us at your table. Father, I pray that we would quit running back to the old clothes, the old grave clothes, the old pigsty the things that once used to give us worth and value, even though we hated it, we at least knew it and understand it. Father, I pray that we would have confidence in our new name and have confidence in the future and the plan that you have for us, that we would be an open tapestry for the work you want to do in us. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.